Hey y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Scroll with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about some interesting developments from our city attorney's office. Uh, he's been in all sorts of headlines and on Twitter all over the place in the last week. Uh, we're also going to be going over some very troubling circumstances coming out of uh, the police departments in Sacramento as well as Los Angeles. Uh, some interesting turns of events from the legislature and Gavin Newsom, uh, the Gavinator, as we've referred to him many times in the past, and uh, a fun headline about tree planting and some changes going on at LAX regarding ride-hailing apps. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, this week was kind of a big one for Knock because we got a shout out in the Guardian. Oh hell yeah! Uh, and we did. Jane from K Town for All got uh, interviewed in that piece too, which was by uh, oh crap, her name's uh, escaping me. Uh, Clara something. She works for uh, KCRW and writes for the Guardian occasionally. But uh, it's basically about the epidemic of violence against people who are unhoused, and it's a really hard read. Like it's not a fun article, but they link to our expose on the vigilante groups uh, that are still going on in the Valley and that John Lee is a member of and that apparently uh, several LAPD cops have yeah. failed to leave despite the fact that they've been ordered to do so by LAPD. And then today I woke up to see that Breitbart had sent in a CPRA request to figure out why <laughs> LAPD is now using their, their Google AdSense filters, uh, which apparently Michelle Malkin wrote, which, like, she's a terrible human being, but apparently not a bad, like, law-doing person, because it's a really well-written CPRA request. Uh, but yeah, so, like, all around... Let's like just steal that template. Yeah, though. like, all around a pretty big, like, news week for that sort of, like, the the sort of police accountability and, like people who bring services to our unhoused neighbors sector. Uh, and this is also on top of all of the stuff, which I guess we're not going to cover this week, but we'll, we'll definitely dive into it next week about the Care and Care Plus changes because there's some big changes that, that went down yeah. at Lhasa. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was always cool to see Knock making international news. Um, you know, uh, we are going to be publishing more on Knocked Out LA. We realize it's been a little bit of a desert recently as, as things have been super busy for everyone, but we're trying to get back into the swing of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so just to touch really quickly on the care and care plus uh, rollout that Lhasa uh, did do on October 1st, uh, it's a huge change and it's it's really points to the efficacy of the kind of advocacy work that folks at L.A. can and K-Town for All and other other groups that are our allies in these fights have really been doing like it's. It's really pretty incredible to see that they're they're rolling out an actual provision of services instead of sweeps. It's almost like that hashtag actually means something, and that the results uh, will. We we know that these are going to have good results now that they're finally rolling this stuff out because you cannot fix the problem of homelessness with just by throwing more cops at the situation. Like that that doesn't help anybody. Nope. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll go into details about what exactly got rolled out with the Care and Care Plus teams uh, in, in, uh, in our coverage of that next week. But speaking of situations relating to, um, to Mike Fuhrer and, and, and 4118, so that last week we spoke uh, at, at length about Los Angeles Municipal Code 4118, which uh, governs where you're able to sit, lie, or sleep in public spaces within the city of Los Angeles. Uh, and specifically, we're talking about Mike Fuhrer's decision to file an amicus brief on the Martin v. Boise decision that came out of the Ninth Circuit, which was apparently done in order to clear up some kind of confusion that his office had uh, with the ruling, but that 
also comes on the heels of uh, what well, it's city attorney, assistant attorney, uh, Valerie Flores. Uh, I believe she was the one who had written the suggestions that Mitch O'Farrell made uh, as amendments to 4118. And so they seem to be clear as to what they could do uh, with Martin v. Boise, but well, then also filing an amicus brief. Well, it was, yeah, well, that's the, that's it was the, weird. Well, the thing is, with the 4118 amicus brief, or the Martin v. Boise amicus brief, which relates to 4118, uh, or sorry, 5611, not 4118, but the, the situation with that is because it's a civil lawsuit, uh, the city attorney's office doesn't have to seek, seek clearance from L.A. City Council to be able to file whatever briefs they oh, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're empowered to unilaterally make decisions in the city's, you know, best interest, quote-unquote, which Fuhrer decided uh, would be sending this decision up to the Kavanaugh Supreme Court and asking them to decide <laughs> whether or not sleeping on the street should be illegal, which seems like a terrible idea. And it also seems like... You know, the, the request that they're asking for is they're asking for clarity on how many shelter beds is actually needed, which, again, like, that's already established in Martin v. Boise, and the Supreme Court doesn't really generally get into that minutia. Um, you know, they more are looking at, like, the overarching legal principles. So if you're just, like reasoning here, or at least his stated reasoning, makes very little sense. It makes more sense when you realize that he's trying to run for mayor and that he's trying to set himself yeah. up as somebody who's doing stuff in the city of Los Angeles and selling his particular brand to like the NIMBYs and the homeowners and the people who have to bear the indignity of seeing encampments, as Mitch O'Farrell so, you know, carefully put it in his <laughs> comments to LA City Council. But, you know, oh, this, is, yeah. this is fear, I think, overplaying his hand and also assuming that like, Anyone wants to see Mike Fuhrer get elected to anything because uh, he's just not a super popular or well-known person within the city. Um, most people in the city of L.A. could not tell you, A, that we have a city attorney's office, B, <laughs> what they do, or C, who leads it. You know, uh, Absolutely. It, it's... It's also been weird because, like, Fuhrer went on a whole, like, media rampage talking about, like, how he's trying to crack down on uh, illicit vaping cartridges and protect the health of Angelinos, while at the same time arguing that we should uh, continue to arrest people for trying to sleep in a tent, and also uh, claiming that his office is doing everything they can to help people who are out on the street. Uh, they are forgiving yeah. two million low-level citations, exactly. but at the same time, they're still issuing the citations. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Part of his order wasn't stop issuing the citations and we'll forgive old ones. It's like we're just going to clear the decks because, A, we can't wait, make it through this backlog, and, B, keep issuing the citations so we create another backlog in 10 years, I guess. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't make sense, Mike. It doesn't make sense. It, yeah, it, 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 that is a pretty, pretty clearly some kind of a political move uh, aimed at trying to, you know, clear up his reputation with advocates for the unhoused. Um, but I, I mean, we know what his office has been doing. We've seen it time and time again that they are not the allies of the unhoused neighbors that we've got and that these citations, which it's great to see that they're clearing 2 million citations, or, or at least they're, they're pledging that they're going to be clearing these 2 million citations. And, you know, that was an announcement that came out of uh, Chief Moore's office, uh, Jackie Lacey's office, and Mike Fuhrer's office. They all got together and they're like, yeah, we're not going to be uh, pursuing these anymore. But as you said, they're still going to be issuing new citations. So that doesn't make like, any sense at all. Um, well, and it's also, it, it's one where... 
having known people that have gone through LA's like criminal legal system for stuff as simple as like being accused mm -hmm. of running a stop sign on a bicycle and like having gone and paid that fine and had the ticket God, dismissed and then six stop. months later getting a letter from the city being like, hey, you still owe us that money or you're going or we're going to throw you in jail. Like I think Fear's office is giving a lot more credit to our underfunded court system that it will be able to actually clear these two million citations and treat oh, them man. as clear. That's... Like, I think this is just going to be another bureaucratic nightmare because our court system is incredibly broken and underfunded. And just one little fact I like to throw out before we move on to the, the 8502 stuff is as uh, Ace, you know, the public defender at Ground Game pointed out, every single courthouse in LA County is rated a risk for even a minor earthquake. Like, our buildings are literally falling apart not even, and that doesn't even mention like the bureaucracy, which is severely understaffed and severely underfunded because we'd rather spend that, you know, billions of dollars on LAPD and their guns and drone program than like actually having a functional criminal legal system. Because the wow. point isn't to have a functioning criminal legal system, it's to, uh, I think, just be really mean to people who don't have money. Yikes. Wow. I, I did not know that the, uh, the buildings were in that state. That is utterly unsurprising, but. Even the one-story building, like there's a one-story courthouse that is at risk for falling oh, over in oh. a moderate earthquake, and it's like, it's one story tall. One story. How do you do that? What's going on? Oh, man. Okay, well. And none of them uh, have potable water. Also, yeah, I'm going to, I'll, I'll really? go on a whole Wait, rant really? about this. But listen, yeah, no, it's bad. Like the, the attorneys have to like, the attorneys have to crowdsource their own like bubblers to have like potable You're water because all of the water that's coming out of the water fountains is like running through really old corroded pipes and should not be drank because it's oh, got like God. lead and copper runoff and all that other crap that like you don't want to be taking into your body. So if you're an attorney in the county of Los Angeles, uh, you're bringing your own water bottle. So that's cool. But anyways, let's uh, before we get too bogged oh. down in the, the you know, that actually really quickly that that does also fit with like my experience of going to the board, the county board of supervisors is like there's nowhere to get water there. Like, at all it's yeah. you have these it's, there's one drinking fountain and it barely has any water coming out of it at all and it's like very much warm water <laughs> no this this was just, literally this was literally one of the demands of the public defenders union when they formed wow. was like hey you have to give us access to potable water in the courthouses like they that had to put that in the contract absurd. they were negotiating with the that is county so, oh my God, I'm, I'm, this is breaking my brain right now. Thank you for introducing yeah, no, me to this fact in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, let's, let's move on to uh, 8502, uh, which is the, the car yeah. dwelling ban that went up a little while ago. Also, if you get the chance, Life Kit LA, another great like services yeah. activism group Feeling out in LA, great. put together a really good video looking at how much this angered everyone when the city council just steamed over, steamrolled over public sentiment and was like, no, we're going to ban people sleeping in cars. But uh, through CPRA requests, uh, some very interesting emails have come to light. And then the L.A. City Attorney's Office apparently uh, is still grappling with basic understandings of how the law works. <laughs> well, so there, there, there is a confidentiality notice on these emails, but... Doesn't um, mean anything. Uh, Literally, uh, if you get an email that says this is confidential <laughs> communication, you can ignore it because it doesn't mean anything. That person can declare themselves God Emperor of the Universe, and it has just uh, as much meaning. <laughs> yeah, so there was, a, there was an email that uh, came out of a CPRA request uh, from uh, Gita, uh, Gita, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce her name. Uh, she's an assistant attorney 
uh, Gina O'Neill, assistant attorney for, well, assistant city attorney, uh, and the director of homelessness policies and strategies uh, off at that office at the uh, in the attorney's office, rather. Uh, kind of jumbling the words there. I apologize, but um, basically, so if you remember the rollout of the of the, the rather the renewal of eighty five oh two happened with not that much discussion from the sitting council members. They basically just sat there and listened to us, uh, you know, person after person coming up and yelling at them, demanding that they not renew this ban on sleeping in your vehicle. And they just completely ignored us and, and voted unanimously uh, to go ahead and renew that ban. Uh, Mike Bonin said that he wouldn't have voted for it, but he wasn't there. Uh, this triggered a, 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 a bunch of chanting and shouting, and uh, everyone was chanting shame at the city council members after the vote. And uh, one of our, our allies in K-Town for All, uh, Sabrina, was actually detained. Uh, and then eventually she didn't end up getting arrested. She was just detained and then uh, escorted out of the council chamber in handcuffs uh, while the rest of us were cleared out of there. The That's the, the background behind Gita sending this email uh, to the neighborhood prosecutor program attorneys uh, saying, hi, all. LAMC 8502 is back and effective as of August 2nd, 2019. It expires again in the winter. If slash when it comes back on the agenda for modification slash amendment, I will let you all know so you can send community members or they can write their council members. The council hearing last week on the ordinance was very contentious. This email is dated August 5th, just FYI. The council meeting was disrupted and there was one arrest. Not actually true. The people in the audience were all against LAMC 8502. Please let me know if you have any questions. Thanks, Gita. So this is a city, an assistant city attorney literally being like, hey, let's drum up support for this absolutely draconian uh, law that we are going to continue rolling out. And it was published, the email was, came out through a, a CPRA request from Cole Haas, uh, our, our, our favorite CPRA activist. Uh, and it was published uh, on Twitter and, and released to the public because that's what Cole Haas does. And, then, and also uh, it's, it's a communication from an, uh, an L.A. city yeah. uh, employee and is covered by the Brown Act. Like, Absolutely. this is the exact type of thing that like you don't put in writing unless you want it to come out because it's going to everything come out. you put in writing is is potentially public record, like potentially exposed public record because it is. Uh, it, it, you know, as as you said, a part of the Brown Act means that it can come out when somebody requests information about it. So well, and when, also this one's especially galling because it's her playing politics, like doing something absolutely. that like is not covered by the 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 exceptions in the Brown Act, no. um, and something that like is also super inappropriate for a prosecutor to be doing. Like sure. you're not supposed to be saying support the law. Your job is simply to prosecute the law as it is written and as you understand it, not telling people to support certain laws over others. So when this was pointed out on Twitter by K-Town for All and by others, uh, Gita actually went ahead and emailed K-Town for All and said, quote, you should not have possession of that email, so do not distribute it and please delete it. Please see the notice at the end of this email on confidentiality. That womp, was the womp. email. <laughs> Uh, which was promptly pointed out by K-Town for All and a bunch of other folks, uh, including uh, Ground Game's Twitter account and um, a, a number of others being like, 
yeah, no, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. And also CPRA requests are a thing. So we don't understand if Jita just does not uh, know how the Brown Act works or what. Well, and, but and they were, and like she was also trying to claim that this is covered by attorney-client privilege in some sense, which it's not because talking to your not. fellow prosecutors is not confidential communication. You're not developing a, a legal strategy. That's not. No. <laughs> this is this is just pure politics, and you being exposed as playing politics in the city attorney's office. Uh, is I mean, I'm sure it's deeply embarrassing for Jita as well it should be, but it's not something that she has any kind of legal coverage for, and it's just frankly absurd. So in addition to all of this bullshit relating to 8502 and other things that uh, Mike Fuhrer's office is doing, they also just had a ton of mud land squarely in their face in the last few days relating to the LADWP uh, billing fiasco that is incredibly important and not getting nearly enough attention in my mind. Um, so the, if you, if you remember, there was that botched rollout of the new payment system that had been managed by PricewaterhouseCooper. Uh, and it was a, a complete disaster. People were being overbilled to the tune of thousands of dollars. Bills weren't showing up for months and months and months. It was a, a, a complete disaster. So there was a class action lawsuit that was brought against LADWP. And then the city attorney's office was was then filing their uh, the, the city was suing PricewaterhouseCoopers in order to try to recuperate uh, no pun intended some of the money that would be used to, to pay out uh, in that class action lawsuit and settle the, the the legal fees and all of that which according to the LA Times the costs associated with that class action lawsuit settlement uh, are uh, around three hundred million. Dollars And now that money is going to be falling onto the backs of ratepayers in L.A. because Mike Fuhrer, Mike Fuhrer's office completely botched this uh, lawsuit because they uh, are, are uh, basically they're, they're not going to be pursuing this lawsuit against PricewaterhouseCooper um, for the botched rollout system, rollout of the billing system, because they're, quote, unable to overcome the current circumstances. What circumstances might those be? Well, a uh, spokesman from Fear's office told the LA Times that, quote, key witnesses in the city's case, namely David Wright, former head of the DWP, and Paul Paradis, an attorney who formerly consulted for Fear's office, have invoked their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, impairing the city's ability to proceed with its lawsuit, end quote. And this one's, this one's amazing <laughs> because, like, the whole thing is, so Paradis was a lawyer who got to pick his own client while he was also working for the city. Yeah. And what's being alleged, and this is where the FBI investigation Investigation comes into this too is what the FBI is alleging. Dollar, no bid. Yeah. Oh, well, God. so what the what the FBI is alleging is that Paul Paradis and the other attorney in this in this lawsuit uh, picked their own client to sue the city, and then would advise the client to take the lowest payout that uh, was offered to them, thus saving yeah. the city a bunch of money and basically, you know playing both sides against the middle while getting themselves Absolutely. yeah a, a total six million dollar no bid contract between two attorneys which that's nuts but now oh, isn't it God. handy that the guy who was on both sides of this and the person who's like <laughs> the lever point around which all of this corruption is is like orbiting uh, is then able to say well no i'm not going to incriminate myself and the entire case falls apart which like <laughs> I'm not a real God lawyer, like law doing person, but like from what uh, I understand, you can challenge that. 
Like, if somebody invokes their Fifth Amendment right, you're allowed to, like, argue in front of a judge that that's inappropriate. Um, also, there are probably other people with information. Uh, there are that, tons of people you know, who have familiarity with There's, the documents. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely insanity. And it, the other thing is, like, you don't necessarily need his testimony if you've got the documents. Like, if he wrote an incriminating email, he can't have that protected under the Fifth Amendment. Like, that's yeah, not that's him not testifying against himself. No. That's just evidence that you use. And I think, again, this is, you know, like, Fearsoff has realized that if they go forward with this lawsuit, they're providing more ammo to the FBI to prosecute attorneys and to prosecute, um, like, the corruption that happened in this lawsuit, and they don't want to give that ammo ammo to the FBI because they're playing cover your ass politics. But it's just so absolutely frustrating and and just an absolutely like easy one to have, have fixed at the time because the whole PWC like snafu didn't just happen overnight. Like that was years worth of people not paying attention to what they were paying consultants to do. Uh, apparently PricewaterhouseCooper cut corners all over the place, like rolled the system out in a really crappy way. A lot of LADWP employees were really unhappy with the way it was done. And it was just the city not doing oversight. And now that the city screwed up so badly, they've decided they don't want to pay the money. They want to leave ratepayers on the hook for it, which I guess the spoiler to this whole thing is like, at the end of the day, the taxpayers of the city of Los Angeles and people who uh, are clients of DWP are going to be paying for it one way or another. Like, the money's not coming out of Mike Fuhrer's pocket or Eric Garcetti's pocket or anything like that. Like, it's coming out of our pockets. Absolutely. And the, again, we're talking $300 million to cover this class action lawsuit that, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's a, they're, they're, DWP ratepayers are the ones who are, are receiving the settlement, but at the same time, DWP ratepayers are going to end up being the ones who, through you know fees and taxes, are going to end up paying to settle this. Like we're, it's completely passing the buck and letting Price Waterhouse Cooper off with no culpability. Uh, there, there are no ramifications for this completely botched rollout that they did, uh, unless, of course, the FBI does manage to uh, make anything come out of this. But it, it sounds more like the FBI is really just going to be nailing LADWP if they do come through with this investigation. There, there's nothing, really, there's nothing that uh, PwC is going to be held accountable for in any meaningful way now that Fuhrer's office has completely dropped the ball on this. Um, I guess yep. unless we, uh, you know, get a new city attorney in there who actually <laughs> is competent and does their damn job. But uh, this, I mean, the fact that he's running for mayor in 2022 and has been, you know, public about his naked ambition, like it, it, it tells you everything that you need to know. And it, it fully explains like what the hell is going on here. Uh, it doesn't excuse a damn thing, but it does give you some clarity into why it is that the situation is as completely fucked as it is right now. So, and, and Ooh. like, you know, as, as far as where these lawsuits stand now, you know, the, the lawsuit against PricewaterhouseCooper uh, was settled, quote unquote. So there was a low payout Wait, that went was? for that one. Oh. Yeah, well, the, that's why that's where this like came from is because then the L.A., after they settled the lawsuit, then the, the info came out about Paul Proudis and the other attorney, and PricewaterhouseCooper uh, turned around oh, and sued yeah, the city yeah, of yeah. L.A. for allowing those attorneys to double deal in this situation. So there was like a, a it's, it's a complete, like, absolute clusterfuck. The settlement, I don't think, is going to be enforced. Like, I don't think 
PwC is actually, I don't think they've paid yet, and I don't think they're actually going to, no. and the city attorney's office just throwing up their hands and being like, well, there's nothing more we can do, and just walking away means Hooray. that like all of the money that we, as the, as the people who live in the city, were supposed to get back from this is not going to come back to us. There's still those shortfalls in making up for the like lack of billing and all of the other like costs that have been associated with this that are now going to be paid fully by the city, the people of the city of Los Angeles. So, you know, all in all, this is just a loss for anybody who lives in the city um, and should really like shake the foundations of anyone who has any confidence in Mike Fuhrer or his office to like follow the Absolutely. law. And uh, moving on to shaking people's confidence in uh, oh, no. oversight and accountability, uh, it's everyone's favorite segment. Cops, y'all. So let's start off in Sacramento um, with the Stefan Clark shooting, oh, which God. we've been covering yeah. for a long while because uh, it's taken a long while to finally get to a uh, conclusion of sorts. Yeah, so this is just, it's deeply troubling, but um, Sacramento officials cleared the officers involved, uh, who, you know, the, the officers who, who killed Stefan Clark, uh, it cleared them of any wrongdoing just three minutes after the U.S. Attorney McGregor Scott and the FBI announced that they had, quote, found insufficient evidence to support federal criminal civil rights charges against the Sacramento Police Department officers involved, end quote. So, uh, Sacramento Police Chief uh, Daniel Hahn, which I I don't know is do you know if Daniel Hahn is in any way related to Janice Hahn or is it just it's a common name believe, for folks in yeah, power? Yeah, I don't believe they are. Yeah, I don't believe they are. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, quote every one of these independent examinations has reached the same finding: the use of deadly force in this case was lawful. Mm. Our internal investigation concluded that there were no violations of department policy or training. End quote. This. This is exactly what we were talking about when the use of force legislation was being uh, written and then was signed into law. This is the bullshit that we're talking about here. These police officers came into Stefan Clark's grandmother's backyard, saw him using his white cell phone and thought it was a gun somehow and then just shot him just straight and up shot him, shot, in the, him. shot him in the back. Like Ugh. they they claimed that he was like facing them and that he was a threat to them. And then it turns out that they only shot him in the back and side like he, he not a single one of those bullets went into yeah. the front of his torso. So like that's other questions is like at best he he had his side to them. At worst, they shot him in the back as soon as they saw him. Uh, so the Stevante Clark, Stefan's brother, who has been a complete. Uh, champion of this cause and you know is an incredible activist uh, he told the Sacramento Bee uh, and and others quote I'm not surprised or shocked we've been denied justice for generations the only thing that caught me off guard was Chief Han uh, is letting one of the officers back to patrol on the streets that is fucked up our streets are not safe with a murderer on the streets he continues, that is just insane. Putting them back on the streets is not going to go well with the city of Sacramento. We should not be paying our tax dollars for people who do not know how to do their goddamn job. I'm hurt right now, end quote. And that is putting it with a very mild tune on it compared to you know the outrage that should be just rippling through the streets of Sacramento. There's... There were massive protests when the when this whole situation unfolded in the first place, but I'm I'm honestly shocked to see that this is not making more uh, of a of a headline or or ripple in 
Sacramento now that these uh, these criminal cases and civil rights cases have been uh, effectively just dropped. It's whenever this kind of thing happens within our quote unquote justice system and everything just kind of dies with a whimper, it's it deserves to be met with complete outrage. And it's. Ben Crump, uh, who is a prominent civil rights lawyer and is one of the family's attorneys on this case, told reporters that, quote, we are disappointed that the officers involved in this horrendous episode will be allowed to resume their jobs as if nothing happened. Stefan Clark was in a place he was allowed to be doing things he was allowed to do. Yet these officers murdered him for no reason, end quote. And that is exactly the problem here with the way that policing in the state of California and across this country is working right now. There is no accountability for any of these officers any time that they are involved in these gross over-applications, over-use of force, a deadly force in almost all of these circumstances being perpetrated against um, you know, overwhelmingly black and brown men who just, uh, the cops kill them with no there's there's no justification for it. There's no uh, repercussion for it. It just it happens. There's outrage for a little bit, and then the our 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 court system basically is like, well, that's just the way it works. This is within policy. This is acceptable. This is the problem. This is the this is the problem. This is why uh, Black Lives Matter and all of the their allies are out there in front of DA Jackie Lacey's office every single Wednesday demanding justice for all of these these all of these victims of state violence where there is there's nothing that the city attorney does there's nothing that the DA does there's nothing that chief Moore does these officers just are allowed to kill black and brown men with impunity over and yep. over again and it's well, and that, that's one of the things with chief Han is he's Sacramento's first black police yeah. chief and yeah Jackie Lacey is uh, LA's first female black uh, district attorney. And there's supposed to be this, you know, this line in neoliberal thinking that that sort of diversity is supposed to improve yeah, relations with the community. And yeah. it doesn't because it's not about the face of the person at the head of these organizations. It's about the systemic malfunctions that yeah. at their root, like these are endemic problems. You can't have a policing system in America that doesn't rely on this type of violence and doesn't rely on this sort of like we protect our own because ultimately like the police aren't there to serve justice. They're there to maintain order. They're there to make sure that you're doing what you're told. And that rarely, rarely aligns with the idea of serving the law in an equitable and fair manner. And, you know, we saw this like, you know, before we move on, but there was a, a short news blab that came out of South LA this weekend um, or this week, rather, where uh, LAPD cops showed up at a house party in South LA and put 24 oh, yeah. young men of color up against the wall and searched them all because they were having a party. And, like, I've been at white parties in the Hollywood Hills and Beverly Hills where, like, the cops show up multiple times to be like, yo, could you keep it down? Don't arrest anyone. Don't even, you know, come in to see what's going on in there, even though, like, everyone's doing a shit ton of drugs because they're not there to, like, regulate on those white bodies the same way they are in no. South LA. Like South LA, you throw a raucous party and the cops will shut you down and send you to jail. You do that in the Hollywood Hills and it's just like, oh, that's their party lifestyle. Like they've earned that. Yeah. They have the right to do that. It's it's just completely absurd. The double standards and uh, the, the <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know what to say. Like it's just... Yeah. 
it's ridiculous that this is the this is the state that the world is in right now and that none of this is changing. We need to fundamentally uproot the system that is in place and fix it. I mean, I mean, we can't just fix it. We need to uproot it and replace it with something that actually works because reform of these policies is clearly not going to be getting us anywhere. I mean, we, we are, yep. we're thrilled to see like the, the Stefan Clark bill that made it through and, and now is the law of the land in California that the, you know, the, the officers are not able to just say, well, I felt threatened. And, and then use that as justification to just execute somebody. They can't do that anymore. But like they're st- still all running around with guns and they just keep yeah. shooting people. Well, and, and, and also at the end of the day, the, the district attorney's office is responsible for prosecuting the police while also relying on police officers as their main source of exactly. evidence and witnesses in criminal cases. So, you know, unless there's an independent investigative and prosecutorial body that is just there to deal with law enforcement uses of force, we're just going to see the same stuff. Like suddenly yeah, what's reasonable for a cop is going to be wildly different than what's reasonable for you. Uh, yeah. And it's... it's it, it, Ultimately, at the end of the day, like that system of policing just kind of has to end and sort of to that end to give a quick shout out. This is part of the work that y'all are doing with the Sheriff's Accountability Project yeah. and trying to, <laughs> to bring some big reform there, which, you know, thankfully Villanueva is such a, uh, an incompetent that he's opened the door wide for this sort of stuff actually being taken uh, seriously and people in power finally beginning to listen to that because the LA County Board, as we talked about last week, has kind of had enough with Sheriff Alex. They have, they are just absolutely over him oh, and are doing everything are. in their power to like disempower him. But let's let's not get bogged down too much there because um, we'll I'm talk sure about we'll be that coming back week. to it. Yeah, so uh, the the uh, LAPD finally released, and this was like two, after two months, I want to say. Yeah, uh, they released the body cam footage of the shooting of John Penny in Venice Beach, and it's hard to watch. It's not the most graphic footage that I've ever seen, but it's definitely not good. And just to kind of, no. if you don't want to watch the footage, to give you all a, a brief description, it shows uh, John Penny sort of standing at the side of a garage holding a two-by-four of some sort, like some sort of a piece of wood, uh, and talking to the police officers. He's clearly saying, hey, calm down, let's talk, let's talk. Uh, he is not moving towards the police officers, which no, he's they not. claimed he's that cover. he came at them. And you yeah. can see him moving back behind cover. Like, he's trying yeah. to move back around the garage when they open fire. Like, he was literally doing the opposite of being a danger to them. And they just, like, open fire on him, and you hear a number of shots and see him fall to the ground. Uh, He was not killed, but he was severely injured. And everyone who lives around there is really confused as to why it happened, because he was well-known in the area. He was given permission by one of the landlords to camp in the driveway. People knew that he wasn't, like, having the best time, that he had a lot of... um, He had some mental illness that he was grappling with. He had some substance abuse issues that he was grappling with, mainly because, like, mental illness and self-medicating go together really well. But LAPD, instead of, like, trying to de-escalate, instead of trying to... They brought in a fucking helicopter. And pulled out their tasers and pulled out their guns. And, like, that doesn't de-escalate. No, not at all. You know, the lizard part of your brain kicks in. And... 
once you pull out a gun, you're way more likely to shoot someone. And we've seen that time and again from Charlie Africa to John Penny. Uh, black men who are having not a great day are suddenly risking their lives just for like something that could be settled with like a little bit of help and de-escalation. Um, but LAPD officers don't really want to do that. They've still got the Rambo cowboy mentality where it's like their job to bring order no matter what it takes to do that. And oh. they don't, yeah, it, it's uh, like, you know, if you if you want to watch the video, I would suggest going to I, watch it just so you're not taking yes. my word for it. But at the same time, like, how many more of these videos do we have to see? Because they're all no. the fucking same. They, they absolutely are. And I, I would actually go so far as to urge everyone who listens to this, please do go watch the video. It is because it's not as as graphic as other uh, it does. I mean, it, you can't really there's no gore visible. Uh, which is uh, relieving. But at the same time, it is such a clear example of exactly the kinds of gross overapplication of force that we're talking about that is so, and just completely, it's, it's, it's the system. This is what the system has created. This is what it will continue to perpetuate unless we upend it. And you, you just watch the video, get completely fucking outraged, and then show up at the BLM vigils that happen again every Wednesday in front of the Hall of Justice, uh, demanding that Jackie Lacey take action, show up to the Tuesday morning uh, events when it, with the either the, the Sheriff uh, Civilian Oversight Commission or the Los Angeles Police Department co uh, Commission. Like These are the places where you can demand accountability. It, unfortunately, we, we aren't seeing any real movement on that uh, for the most part, but we do know that this kind of action does eventually work as far as like we've seen a complete title change uh, when it comes to how the elected officials on the, the, the city council are talking about our, our unhoused neighbors. They have totally changed their tune aside from Mitchell Farrell because he clearly has his own issues there. But public application of pressure and visibility and you know, showing up, shouting at them is painful. It is difficult. It is unnerving. It is stressful. But in so many circumstances, at least with the city council, we're, we're starting to see movement there. And we just need to be applying that same kind of pressure to the police and to the DA and to all of these other folks who are actually in positions where they can make the kinds of changes that at least start to diminish the kind of harm that we're seeing perpetrated by these state actors on uh, black and brown men. Like, it is absurd that they're able to keep doing this. Watch the video, get angry, show up to a protest. Uh, one other thing that I, I, I thought of while you were talking about uh, the, the uh, you know, just <laughs> ridiculous behavior of the LAPD. Remember, like, what was that, like, last week that the LAPD rolled out their badges? They changed their badges to be yeah, a throwback. Back to, uh, <laughs> yeah, back to, uh, what was it, like 1857? Yeah, they did like the retro design of the badges, and they're starting to roll them all out, being like, hey, let's shout out the good old times, back when we used to be able to just kill people on the streets with even less impunity. John Motter, who's got like, <laughs> just like the, the most spicy Twitter takes ever, and yeah, I, I absolutely love it. He's one of the reasons <laughs> I was like, oh, I can just like go all out with like yelling at people in power, because um, the number of fucks that John has to give is a whole number less than one. But he pointed out that like what LAP, LAPD was doing when they were wearing these particular badges in 1857 was targeting uh, people of Chinese descent because they were like oh, yeah. foreign invaders who needed to be regulated uh, yeah. and it's like 
LAPD is like, look at how we're working on our, you know, uh, our diversity and our de-escalation and our racial <laughs> politics. We're going to now get out the most racist badges we ever wore <laughs> and wear those around town. God damn it, LAPD. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> no, it's like, it, you know, I, I mean, and, and uh, the other thing that boggles my mind is like LAPD spends like $4 million a year on ammo alone. And it's like, why are you also spending money on badges? Like, come on, guys. Like, have a little bit, you know, if you have people in the city of Los Angeles who are having to choose between medication and rent, like, you a-holes can choose between bullets and stupid racist badges. Like, you shouldn't be able to buy both. <sighs> like, either yeah. you get a racist badge or you get ammunition. And, like, that's it. Like, it, can we you just know, do drink neither? the pot of money. I just want I mean, to that would be the like, best of all possible worlds. But look, they these these people don't even know how to work their Google AdSense account, and they have 88 PR. <laughs> so, like, you know, small steps, small steps. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for recruiting from Breitbart, by the way, LAPD. We we yeah. truly appreciate that. That's no, like, well, that's the whew. thing with like SLO Dints and like the other guys up in the valley when LAPD is like, oh no, I can't. You know, we don't want to recruit the Breitbart audience, and it's like, what newspapers do you think your officers are reading? Like, I really, I don't think they're reading Jacobin. I don't think they're reading N plus one. You know, I don't think, I don't think they're, they're spending money for like the current affairs printed edition. I don't think that's where they're, they're making their media buys. No, they're definitely all listening to citations needed though. That's for sure. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, Governor Newsom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. he, he, uh, he had a string of like, he was doing some good stuff and yeah. then he decided to chicken out when, uh, we were going toe to toe with the Trump administration. Uh, so let's talk about SB one and what Gavin Newsom's veto means. So, all right. So SB one was written by Sen Senate president pro tem Tony Atkins from San Diego and would have, according to the LA times quote, allowed state agencies to adopt protections under the federal endangered species act, clean air act, clean water act, fair labor standards act, and other in major environmental and labor laws that were in place before Trump took office in January, 2017 end quote. So, uh, Newsom called this bill a quote, solution in search of a problem end quote. And then which is crazy because uh, clearly the legislature does not uh, does not agree because they both chambers voted and passed this and got it through to his desk and he's just like nah it's all good well, so just and hours, also this like he 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 vetoed this like a week after the Trump administration said we're going to go after California's cafe standards yeah. even though every automaker in the country said no don't do that we yeah. like their their cafe standards so it's like when when Newsom's like oh i don't see the problem here it's like it, did you are you miss not the, looking the federal lawsuit that the federal government just launched against <laughs> your state for trying to be like pollute less what are you doing, Newsom? This is absurd. So just hours before vetoing SB1, Newsom told reporters that, quote, I have spent 52 years of my life being an environmental leader and champion, and I'll take a backseat to no one in terms of my advocacy, end quote. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> What the fuck? Uh, in his veto message, Newsom said, quote, while I disagree about the efficacy and necessity of Senate Bill 1, I look forward to working with the legislature in our shared fight against the weakening of California's environmental and worker protections, end quote. I mean, does he? Like, if he, if he wants to do those things, why did he not sign the damn bill? Like, it was going to do all of the things that he says he cares about, and yet he vetoed it. It just is, I mean, 
what is going on? <laughs> why why well, is our, our 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 you know supposedly liberal uh, progressive governor who is supposed to be our champion out there? Why is he not siding with us when we're, we're trying to do like California has the arguably some of the best environmental laws in this country, but we need they're they're not even close to good enough, but they are still like just. I mean, I'm just completely baffled by this entire situation with Newsom. Like, what I mean, is he I also doing? like I have this I have this weird feeling that Newsom uh, is also afraid of losing oil revenue because remember his his uh, oh, yeah. top oil regulator yeah. was approving fracking permits at double the rate double. of the last yeah. administration, and no one was paying attention to that. And then when it was found out and it was called out <laughs> like, um, by the uh, the Desert Sun uh, down in like Joshua Tree yeah, and Palm Springs, they do reporting. some really good coverage. But so they just you know looked at public records and realized like, hey, there's a lot more fracking that's being brought <laughs> yeah. online all of a sudden. Newsom was like, okay, I'm going to fire the guy, but I'm not going to pull any of the permits. And it's like, okay, getting rid of the oil regulator doesn't stop emissions. Pulling the permits for fracking would stop emissions and protect the environment, but he doesn't want to do that because they pay a lot of money to campaigns, they pay a lot of money into the state coffers, and like California is still an oil state like to this day. So I have a feeling that Newsom was afraid that this would rub the oil companies the wrong way, and you know, quite frankly... I see that as like the biggest benefit, uh, but I think yeah. he's he's you know trying <laughs> to play both sides to, to be like I care about the environment. I'm just not willing to like do anything about it. You know, oh, um, it, it's yeah, it's it's. I think the only bigger act of hypocrisy I've seen in the last week was it turns out that Justin Trudeau has two campaign planes that he's been using. Like he needs two what? planes to campaign for prime prime minister in Canada. Yeah, and he's like I'm an environmentalist mm -hmm. with two seven thirty sevens. Oh, <laughs> how did yeah. I not hear no, about this? And the worst this? part is like the worst part about like the the Trudeau thing is, you know, on top of the blackface, which just like you know we don't even need to talk about it. It's so obviously yeah. bad. But that and then like the two planes, <laughs> the conservatives Christ. in Canada have been able to effectively attack Trudeau from the left, and yeah. like you know you screwed up when the conservatives, like the People's Party up there, which is like a very know nothing populist kind of Trumpian collection of reactionaries are able to attack you from the left. And they're like, well, we only have one plane. And you're like, what the fuck, <laughs> oh, Justin? God. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, why is everything so bad? Why? All of these people, they're all so bad at this. Uh. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's talk about at least a good thing. Uh, so yeah. in the city of LA, we don't have enough trees. And it no, looks like we we're finally going to be like, Getting more trees. <laughs> well, so we, we are going to talk too much about this just because we've got more stuff that we want to talk to. But I wanted to point out that Mother Jones ran probably one of my favorite headlines of all times that says, quote, Los Angeles, a city known for its freeways, is about to plant a shit ton of trees. <laughs> just and this this is like this is a great thing especially in parts of the city that oh, have yeah. had their tree cover like cut down as I've mentioned like several times before because it's literally one of my like weirdest war on drug stories is back in the 80s LAPD was like hey yep. we can't see the roofs in the neighborhoods in South LA cut down all the trees well, so the city cut they couldn't down all the trees they couldn't pursue anyone that was on foot fleeing they couldn't follow the pursuits with a helicopter because you yeah. know a tree provides coverage 
So they're just like, yeah, let's cut so down they, all the trees. <laughs> yeah, so they cut down all of the trees the in, fuck? like, huge swaths of South Los Angeles, uh, left them up in West L.A. where, like, the wealthy of white course. people live. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, white surprise. Uh, but one of the problems we've been grappling with when we talk about, like, gentrification and displacement is when these changes come into a neighborhood and make them more livable and walkable. Yeah. And also, like save you money like having tree yeah. cover on your block keeps your block cooler means meaning Saves you have to run your bills, ac yeah. less yeah it means that you're probably in less danger of like dying if you're elderly or infirm from like the massive yep. heat waves we're getting during the summer or hell even during the winter sometimes but uh, like all of these things as we make these improvements we see longtime residents pushed out of the neighborhood because prices for that land goes up and for those houses goes up and people who have lived there for a long time see an opportunity to sell but they're not being replaced by other families that look like them they're being replaced by whiter wealthier families they're also you know not benefiting from this because the new trees and bike paths and like new gentrified like foot malls and stuff that come along with this also bring more policing and the police have a very specific idea of who's allowed to be using our infrastructure in that way and who's not and like who's a danger yep. to the community and who's not and for some reason LAPD thinks people who have lived in a neighborhood for a couple generations are a bigger danger to that neighborhood than the white family that just moved into a flipped house a couple blocks away so this is like really cool that we're getting more trees but also as everything in LA uh, it comes with a caveat of like we need to make sure that this development is equitable and not destructive because it tends to end up being inequitable and very destructive. Uh, yeah, and just yeah, to put a couple of numbers on this one before we move on, uh, there we basically Garcetti, in part of his "quote unquote" Green New Deal, uh, was talking about needing to you know have our our greenhouse gas emissions by 2025 and also plant. Uh, a, what, 90,000 trees by the end of 2021, which that's a whole lot of trees. And so they, they've decided to create this new uh, position. Uh, and it, Rachel Malarich is going to be the city's forest officer, uh, which is an, a position that didn't exist before August. And uh, the, the, apparently the title comes along with the responsibilities of, quote, oversee the growth of the Los Angeles urban forest. Uh, so that's, that's her job and it exists and that is fantastic. And we look forward to seeing, uh, some, hopefully making some inroads in terms of, uh, what's often referred to as, or should, should be more often referred to as the shade equity gap, because it, it's, you can clearly tell what the city thinks about these neighborhoods based on the amount of, uh, like city owned property with trees on it in any given neighborhood. Like you can tell what like what class of people live in which neighborhood based on how many trees the city has bothered to keep in any of these places. It's yeah, it's an issue. It's a real issue. Also the, also the city has an official mascot for our trees now. Yeah. Um, we, we've had the mascot, the, the awesome. mascot leafy is yeah, in their official great. name. <laughs> leafy, uh, who is a, a large like automobile <laughs> leaf, um, <laughs> who Google wears a eyes. Dodgers hat. Uh, it's, it's it's an interesting one. Uh, I remember when they first rolled out Leafy like a year ago. I was at LA City Council and I was like, you know, of all the things to spend our money on, this is probably like the most ineffective but the least objectionable. Uh, and yeah, I also absolutely. like I, I'm kind of a sucker for the Japanese cities that have like weird city mascots. So I'm kind great. of okay with it. 
Uh, so, you know, we may pivot to just being a leafy stand podcast from here on out. <laughs> just if we, you know, just give that. up I'm on done. the whole like accountability thing. But uh, <laughs> let's move on to a, you know, let's move on to another big celebration that we've got. Uh, public banking. Big stuff happened. Absolutely. Yeah, no. So uh, 857, it, it, uh, AB 857 passed uh, both houses and made it to uh, Governor Newsom's desk. And he did the right thing. He signed this bill into law, which is fantastic. So now we can go back to, uh, I mean, so San Francisco is going to be looking into creating their own public bank. Um, Sacramento, Sacramento will as well. Uh, city of LA, I haven't heard anything coming out of city council yet, but uh, last year Herb Wesson was uh, at the forefront of the Measure B campaign, uh, which would have made a change to the city's charter and allowed for the uh, studying the possibility of of creating a a, a public banking infrastructure here in the city. And it, I mean, we knew that Measure B wasn't going to be able to create a public bank in and of itself. We knew that we needed to have the legislation that was going to be coming from the state level first. Uh, or, you know, before we could create a public bank, we needed to have this thing go through. And it's great to see that that actually did go through. And now that people are talking about it more, uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, see some actual movement here again in, in City Hall or on the ballot to go forward and, and look, let's do a rehash of Measure B and actually start creating a public bank in the city of L.A. Yeah, and there's actually a, an article I'm going to link to in the description that I, I suggest you all check out over on uh, uh, Cowboys on the Commons, written by Matt Stannard. Yes. Uh, talks about, like, what the path forward looks looks like from here and, like, some of the pitfalls. Because, again, like, there's no public bank established by a, a, uh, AB 857. All it allows cities to do is charter their own public banks, capitalize and administer those public banks using the credit union system rather than like the, the main banking system. So any public bank in the state of California won't be covered under the FDIC. It'll be covered under the kind of insurance and regulation uh, scheme that regulates uh, credit unions and will like use the credit unions to move money around, which is good because that keeps that money within our communities and within our state yes. rather than allowing Chase or Wells Fargo or any of the, the larger banks to get the processing fees for it. But it's going to be like there's more of a fight from here. And one of the things that, that Matt points out is that when other states have kind of looked into and experimented with public banks, like he mentions Colorado, they tend to form committees and exploratory committees that are staffed with bankers and CEOs and attorneys yeah. for private banks. And mm -hmm. that's really not the way we want to go. Like it's going to take a groundswell of public activism and public support and keeping the pressure on to make sure that we do this the right way. Because LA at one point did experiment with its own infrastructure bank and it was so corrupt, like so corrupt to the point that like 30 years afterwards, Jack it's Humphrey Bill still yeah. uses it as a cudgel <laughs> against every public banking initiative yep. because it was massively corrupt. Like, it's so bad. But anyways, check out Matt's article uh, if you want to get, like, a, a more comprehensive view on what things are going to look like. A lot of it's kind of technical details, but, like, the devil's in the details. Like, and as California keeps teaching us, you know, the best ideas uh, often get waylaid by people in political power not having the courage to see things done the right way or see, see them done, yep. like, to 100%. And that becomes the problem. Um, and hopefully yeah, we're so going to see, to especially as the... the 
the Green New Deal for for LA and for other yep. cities like ramps up. We're going to be getting um, you know more green development, and we're going to be hopefully seeing more uh, like local investment and investment in um, uh, green infrastructure and sustainable infrastructure that banks like Chase and Wells Fargo just don't really want to finance because there's not a great return on investment. It's not as as easy to make money on solar panels as it is on oil wells. But it does so many good things for us, and that's that's exactly the point of why we need this. So hats off to everybody at like Public Bank LA, California Public Banking Alliance, SF Public Bank, all of these groups that have been pushing this legislation. Uh, they got the support from Santiago. They got the support from David Chu. And it's great to see that this legislation is finally, uh, finally actually, you know, law and uh, thrilled to see what is going to be coming out of this as it moves forward. But as you just pointed out, Bushido, like this is a fight that's going to continue for quite some time, and the banks are going to be pushing back at every possible opportunity because they see this as you know cutting into their profit margins because they they don't necessarily have any desire to be investing in the kinds of infrastructure that we're talking about that's going to be so necessary for a Green New Deal for the kind of like societal. Uh, economic revolution that we need to be doing, but they also like they don't want to make those investments, but they do want all of the other things that the cities had the cities have been and the state have been you know borrowing money from these banks to do for so long. They do not want a public bank to come in and cut into their profit margins on all of those other things that are just you know uh, basically a, a free ATM machine that they're able to pull money out of anytime that they deal with the city. So. It's going to be a big fight, and Jack Humphreyville, I'm sure, is uh, probably typing furiously at his keyboard right now uh, some kind of a rebuttal against AB 857 because uh, he, you know, that's got to that's got to irk him to see this actually going through. So hats off to everybody that was involved in that fight. Fantastic job, and let's keep on going. Yeah, no, and and again, you know, big ups to everyone who's been in this fight for a long while. It, it the, you know, this was a several year fight, but it went pretty quickly once the momentum picked up. So I'm I'm really excited to wait to see the way things develop. Uh, let's move on to everyone's favorite <laughs> airport, uh, Los Angeles International Airport, uh, and they're making some big changes to Uber and Lyft, which uh, I'm not like I don't really object to these. I guess though, I think it is going to be a bit of a CF, but also a big shout out to the. Um, Mobile Workers Alliance, who just staged a strike Hell there, yeah. advocating for better wages and better benefits for yep. uh, you know rideshare drivers. But so, what is uh, when I get picked up at LAX? What's going to be happening? Well, nothing's going to be happening until October 29th, and then at three in the morning on October 29th, uh, these new rules for Lyft and Uber pickups are going to be going into effect. So they're calling a this new centralized pickup area that you're going to have to get to uh, the LAX. It ha, ha, you see what they did there? LAX. It ah yeah. Ayo. So <laughs> so it's basically going to be used uh, as like if you when you're flying into LAX instead of. Uh, trying to do your ride hailing and then uh, as you're walking through the terminal and you get out to the the, uh, the arrivals loop on the top of the building, uh, you would normally walk to the the designated pickup zones with the the big letters next to them or that numbers. I forget chaotic. Which. That chaotic scrum of like <laughs> yeah. vehicles and people in briefcases trying to yep. not, or people with their suitcases trying to not get hit by cars. Yep. That like so absolute you, death trap. 
Uh, yeah, that that that's where you go right now, and you're not going to be able to do that anymore. So what they're going to do is uh, you're going to have to hop onto a shuttle. Uh, apparently, they're going to be bright green. They're going to show up every three to five minutes. They're not going to stop uh, more than two times between when they get to LAX and when they go to this LA exit uh, lot where you're going to go. And that's where you'll get picked up by your uh, Uber or Lyft driver. So they're expecting that it's like a, a 15 minute drive to get from the terminal pickup location to this centralized lot, which is effectively a, like, that's on the short end of how much time I've had to spend waiting when I've tried to do uh, ride hailing from LAX. Like 15 minutes is a, a pretty quick pickup when it comes to that scrum of uh, activity in in the airport loop uh and a lot of that is apparently time that drivers are having to spend uh, sometimes up to an hour from the pickup location which some of them I, I guess refer to as the pig pen uh i had not known that but that's what the drivers for lyft and uber uh some of them at least refer to this area where they have to sit and wait for uh to be matched up with a a rider from the airport which I'm kind of shocked that they have to spend much time there at all, given how long everyone is waiting for a driver to show up and pick them up. Um, but that's that's what it is. So uh, basically, uh, Keith Keith Wilshitz, uh, who is the deputy executive director of operations at Los Angeles World Airports, told reporters that, quote, you will no longer have to fight the traffic to get out of the central terminal area. Once you are in your car, you're right on Sepulveda. Uh, he also told reporters that Uber and Lyft currently account for 27% of the 100,000 vehicles in the LAX terminal area on an average day. Meanwhile, taxis are just 4%. And uh, the move to this new LA exit lot is expected to eliminate something like 15% of the vehicles in the loop, which when if you've done any reading about like how traffic works, cutting 15% of the vehicles out of an area should pro is probably going to end up having a, a very dramatic impact on uh, the actual flow of traffic through that loop. And they're also talking about putting in uh, green or, or some kind of a dedicated bus lane along the curbside, which should also help uh, ease the traffic in the area. But if you're going to be doing like a friends or family pickup the way that everything used to work before uh, Uber and Lyft entered into the market, uh, you're still going to be allowed to do that. You just, and you're still going to be allowed to be dropped off by Uber and Lyft. You just will not be able to be picked up by those ride hailing apps in the actual terminal loop itself. Um, according to the LA Times, quote, during the first half of 2019, LAX saw 10% more vehicle trips than in the same time period in 2016, the first full year that Uber and Lyft operated there. The number of Uber and Lyft trips soared 123% over that period, while taxi trips fell 39%, according to city data, end quote. Uh, and again, so drivers right now are spending something like an hour, up to an hour, to get from that waiting lot yeah. to where they're picking you up sometimes, especially, I, I, my understanding is Monday mornings are, are, are the worst, um, which makes sense with everyone coming into the city to do business. Like, that, that time that the drivers are spending going from the lot to go pick you up, they don't get paid for that. And because they're not getting paid for all of that time, this is a this change is a huge win for them. It's you know it, it might mean that they have fewer driver or fewer rides being hailed because it's going to create more of a headache for people to get from 
uh, it, it's going to create like a, a, an impediment to people actually using Uber and Lyft and might cut down on the number of total drives. But at the same time, like this is dramatically going to improve the working conditions for these drivers, which to my mind is, is worth it in and of itself. Like this is a, a, a big change that needs to happen. LAX is currently unsustainable. Um, it would be great to see more people taking like the, uh, the flyaway shuttles. Uh, and uh, you know, eventually we're going to have the people mover. And uh, I, I guess at that point in time, uh, Uber and Lyft are going to be, you know, permanently banned from being able to do any pickups in the LAX. Uh, you're going to have to take that people mover to get to some kind of a drop-off location. But you'll also have easy access to uh, metro rails, uh, which is yep. going to be great. Well, and, and it's one where, like, LAX is just such a functionally deficient and poorly designed airport. Oh, for sure. And I remember, like, back when I was at USC, I want to say around, like, 2003, so I think around the same time you were there, yes. uh, Kenneth Hahn announced, like, a billion-dollar renovation of the airport. And then, like, <laughs> 60 days before they were supposed to, like, start this massive renovation to finally make LA X a like modern airport they yeah. pulled the plug on it by saying oh no it's going to be too disruptive we just have to live with our broken stupid airport forever and I remember that was kind of the first time it occurred to me that maybe city government isn't good at what it does uh, because you know like the city of LA has time and again written the rules and it's drawn its boundaries to make sure that LAX falls within its boundaries because there's a lot of money to be made there. They have a lot of oversight. There's a lot of reasons why the city wants to control that particular piece of real estate. Uh, at the same time, they're so deathly afraid of disrupting air travel at all that they won't do anything to fix it. Like the, the you know, uh, Tom Bradley International is the only uh, uh, terminal there that's been fixed or updated or modernized in recent memory. And even that was a complete CF to go through. Like, they're still locked in a legal battle over uh, the environmental, like, the CEQA implications of building larger runways to accommodate the, like, massive, you know, uh, seven, uh, the what, 777s or the, the 777s and the, mm -hmm. the 788s that like fly internationally and the like gigantic double decker, like luxury airliners that A3 can fly between all that, yeah, yeah, all of those, those massive like super jets. We still can't accommodate more than like five of those at a time at LAX because like they just haven't figured out how to create enough space, and so. I'm not trying to like encourage people to fly more, but at the same time, you would think that the city would be better at handling like one of its biggest assets. Because I think next to the Port of Los Angeles, LAX is like one of its biggest revenue generators. And you're just kind of, I don't know, it's like having something broken and knowing that you need to fix it and just being like, well, I think I'd rather take a nap and get a payout from a developer. Uh, so... It, yeah, I, I kind of went nowhere with that little, like, thought train, but I am kind of happy that, like, I'm no longer going to have to risk life and limb to catch a lift home no, from the airport, it, but I'm really excited for when the people mover gets in, so I can literally yes. just take a train to the airport, because, like, I've done that in New York, I've done that in London, I've done that in Chicago, I've done that in D.C., like, every other major city I go to, I can just take a train to the airport. It's it's yeah. painless, it's easy, it's cheap, um, and, 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 like, I don't get stuck in traffic, and I've had, you know taking a lift to the airport from like downtown LA and almost missed a flight, not because the lift driver did anything wrong, but because like because we have Sepulveda and we have PCH yeah. and they're severely under capacity for the amount of people that want to be using them. Yeah. And no, I mean, I can't think of actually uh, the only city where I would say like the, that is as functionally 
uh, broken when it comes to like mass transit access to the airport that I've traveled to lately uh, is actually DC. DC does not have any kind of a connection between uh, their metro system and their airport. And that I, I'm I'm well, blown there's, there's away. Well, two, there's two airports, so uh, at least it depends at least, on which one you're going Dulles? to. Yeah, that's yeah, that's Dulles a very does not, but but Reagan Reagan you can get there ish by train. It's the same sort of like ish. you take a, a <laughs> yeah you take a train within like spitting distance, and then like catch a shuttle. Um, yeah. it, it's still not great, but like also the metro you know just works functionally better there, and it's like is, actually serves true. the whole city. That is very yeah. true. It is a, a fantastic metro system, uh, much better than what we have. Um, and that probably has something to do with the fact that uh, our metro board is basically a it's run by a bunch or it's made up entirely uh, of a bunch of politicians who are far more interested in in other things. Uh, L.A. podcast last week had a great discussion about what is going on relative to uh, metro spending on a Internet upgrade. Uh, oh God, which, no! That was so painful to listen to. It, like, I mean, Scott's, Scott's analysis—that the people on the metro board just look at it as a slush fund for like other priorities that point. they have, rather than like feeding transit. Yeah, no, it was I, like the galaxy brain takes there are just like beyond, but you know, if you want yeah. more information on that, go listen to the experts over at LA podcast. Uh, <laughs> Scott and Alyssa definitely have much better like transit chops than we've got. LA podcast is effectively LA Metro podcast. Like that's what they've become. And I love it. Um, <laughs> also Scott Frazier uh, doing some great, uh, great tweets when it comes to, Everything related to transit, uh, definitely go give him a follow and read up on what's yeah. going on. Uh, it is wild. So yeah, I think that pretty much that pretty much covers it for what we're gonna do because we're running out of time. But um, uh, so if you're looking for something fun to do uh, next Friday, which is gonna be October 11th, head over to the Bootleg Theater. Uh, Koreatown for All is having a fundraiser. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of really, really good comics there. Uh, Rhea Butch is gonna be there. Joel Kim Booster is going to be there. And uh, Autumn, special guest Adam Conover, who uh, host, who ruins yeah. everything, but hopefully will not be <laughs> ruining uh, this event, uh, is going to be hosting it. And then uh, Nithya Raman, who is running for uh, city council in District Four, is also going to be there. So if you want to meet her and find out about her campaign, which yeah. she's one of the people who started Sela, which is a great advocacy group in the city of Los Angeles, definitely go meet her if you get the chance. I would highly recommend volunteering for her campaign, or at least like telling all your friends about it. Um, she's going to be part of what we're hoping is going to be a progressive wave to unseat half of LA City Council this year coming up. Uh, her and Lorraine Lundquist have very closely aligned platforms, and I'm really excited to see more women making a play for City Council yes. because right now, out of a 15-member City Council, we have two, two women on the City Council. Um, and... We and need more than that because, like, good. just the, the <laughs> basic, like, breakdown of our society, uh, that's not really fair, equitable representation in any sense. And you can see a lot of that in their priorities where things like childcare and uh, schools and uh, public transit that is accessible for families are just, like, not priorities for city council. And, like, no. one of the ways you fix that is by getting people with actual life experience into positions of power. So, again, that's Friday, October 11th. Uh, it starts at 7 o'clock. It's over at the Boot Lake Theater. I think the Lake tickets Theater. are all sold out, actually. 
Is it? Screw it. Gate crash. <laughs> well, you know what? If you can't buy a ticket, just take that $10 and give it to Koreatown for All anyways. Yeah. Uh, you can make a donation on their website, Koreatown for All. They have some really great projects coming up, um, and they could always use the support. So, uh, you know, maybe you can maybe you can skim a ticket. I'm sure there's going to be, like, some, um, uh, some scalpers out there if the event's that hot. <laughs> Also, like, uh, it's definitely worth following K Town for All on on uh, on Twitter, uh, just to keep track of all the work that we that we're up to. And uh, they, the authors of the tweets, have some of the best content uh, when it comes to Los Angeles activism. Twitter, uh, straight up, it's fantastic. Everyone should follow uh, at K Town for All. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, so we've got a couple of uh, events also going to be coming up uh, as we discussed earlier and as we discuss every week. Black Lives Matter uh, every single week, every Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. in front of the Hall of Justice. So they refer to it as the Hall of Injustice, and it makes total sense. Uh, 211 West Temple downtown, 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, hard to miss it. It's the group of people standing in a circle uh, gathering around in the little plaza in front of the Hall of Justice. Uh, it's been cordoned off by the sheriff all the time, uh, or LAPD, rather. I don't actually know which one of them it is that goes out there and puts up the fences uh, every week. It's the sheriff. But, okay, well, yeah. yeah so the, the sheriff, they, because the, the sheriff's office is responsible oh, right. they're, for they're security at county buildings, and yeah. the Hall of Justice is technically a private building that is leased to the county, I guess. Like, it's weird really? because, like, if you as a private citizen try and walk in there, uh, you're not actually allowed in on the grounds that it's it's private property, even though you're huh. like, hey, I'm paying for this. Uh, huh. Yeah, I mean, still, one of my favorite things I ever saw was Janice Hahn showed up there, uh, and nobody had let her know that they blockade the entrance. Uh, so <laughs> her and her two aides showed up and, like, tried to figure out for a minute how to get around the Black Lives Matter, like, weekly vigil. And eventually, oh. like, uh, eventually one of the sheriff's officers saw them and was like, oh, you gotta come all the way over this other side. And uh, it was good because Janice Hahn was clearly like, I didn't know this was happening. What is this? And, like, yeah. it's that sort of, like, micro uh, sort of publicity that does help build power and show somebody like Janice Hahn, who uh, doesn't spend a lot of time walking uh, amongst the like unwashed masses, that people are not really happy with what's going on in the city and the county. Yeah. Uh, so they're the, uh, the two-year anniversary of uh, these weekly vigils, and they've literally been doing it every single week for almost two years now. That two-year anniversary is going to be coming up at the end of the month. Uh, we'll give you more details as it's coming up, but that is, I believe it's the 23rd is the two-year anniversary. Um, we will be there. Uh, lots of people will be there. It's going to be a very big deal. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted on that one. Uh, some other stuff that's going to be happening, LA Tenants Union is having their regular meetings. They've got the full meeting is happening on Monday the 7th. That's their general meeting uh, taking place at UTLA, same place as always. 3303 Wilshire Boulevard, 90010, 7 to 9 p.m., uh, up on the 8th floor, uh, room 815. So that's their 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 monthly uh, general meeting. Uh, highly recommend checking them out. And then on Wednesday the 9th, they're going to be having their Northeast local meeting from 7 to 9 p.m. at Avenue 50 Studios, 131 North Avenue 50, 90042, 7 to 9 p.m. again. And then on Thursday the 10th, they will be having their Hollywood local meeting from 6.30 to 9. 
5730 Cahuenga, uh, 91601. Then the South LA meeting is also happening from 630 to 9, same day. <clears throat> meeting uh, at the South California, S Southern California, rather, Library, 6120 South Vermont, 90044. And then the Eastside local meeting is also on Thursday the 10th from 630 to 830 p.m. at 346 South Gless Street, Los Angeles, 90033. Uh, and of course, Ground Game is meeting every Thursday, as we always do from 7.30 till 9 at 5617 Hollywood Boulevard, a couple of blocks from the Western Avenue Metro Station, uh, Hollywood and Western Station, rather. Uh, highly recommend y'all come say hi and uh, hang out. We're, we don't bite, we promise. Uh, it's a fun group, and uh, get involved with us. So as always, if y'all have any Oh, and events, then also, wait, oh. Before, we, before we go into that, uh, <laughs> also keep your eyes out. Uh, we're going to be having, uh, Ground Game, that is, is going to be having another movement candidates training. So yes. if you are interested in figuring out what a movement candidate is, if you work with organizations in Los Angeles or would like to connect with organizations in Los Angeles, keep your eyes on the Ground Game Facebook page. Uh, we're going to be doing that very soon. Uh, remember, like, March is coming up sooner than we think. There's still time for people to get into these races to make them compete competitive to make sure that somebody like John Lee doesn't end up back in his yes. seat at city council. But in order for that to happen, we need people who aren't from the political class to run. We need people like Lorraine Lundquist, like Nithya Raman. We need people like that to step up and do that. And they're not going to do that by themselves because it's a scary, huge lift for an individual. It's yeah. not such a scary, huge lift for a community. And that's exactly. ultimately what we want to build here is not, you know, a, a counterbalance politics. We want to tear down this stupid system of politics. Yes. And we do that by getting people like us into those positions of power. Hell yeah. Great point. So as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to publicize, take part in, or generally be made aware of, send us a message through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or send an email over to podcast at groundgamela.org. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Ground Game LA, at Bushido Squirrel, at Christopher Roth, on Instagram at Ground Game LA, and of course, like and follow the Ground Game LA Facebook page for all of our live streamed content from actions around the city, as well as links from Knock. And of course, you can read stories from our comrades and sometimes the two of us dabbling over there at Knock.LA. Uh, and if you'd like to read up on the sources that we are citing or quoting here for yourself, check out the list of articles cited in the episode description on SoundCloud. Uh, it's actually not iTunes anymore. It's apparently Apple Podcasts now. Um, and whatever system it is that uh, you're listening to us rant and rave about local politics. Uh, thanks, y'all. Yeah, and uh, in honor of Bernie getting uh, his heart, like, <laughs> yeah. double reinforced, never lose your sense of outrage. Absolutely.
Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more.